of uh, kind of parachurch people in the church because um, I, I don't know. Uh, I like some of them, but others, uh, I just feel they're, sometimes their agenda is just all that matters. But I, when I spoke to pastor, I just sensed that his, his spirit was so right and it's so pure. And uh, we've been to these places. We've been to Pakistan. We've been to Egypt. And uh, there's something about the word becoming flesh when you experience these things. Uh, people who, pastors who literally their lives are on, on the line, never have a holiday, just so committed to Christ, uh, it affects you deeply. And I believe that the church, you know, we, we have so much here. And whenever someone comes from a, another ministry and they make a, an appeal for prayer or finances, the answer in the West is always more. Because <laughs> we can always help. We have so much, we can always help. So I just encourage you, it's a great ministry to support um, because there are still martyrs being made today. And, you know, often we, uh, we don't even hear about it. The great things that happen in the church, in, in, the, in the world, we don't even hear about it. But uh, uh, it's a great thing to support. Okay, I am going to preach to you today just from one verse. And um, because it's one verse, you don't have to stand. And uh, verses from this, it's from 2 Corinthians 5. And a lot of us know this verse really well. It says that, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Father, I thank you for your word. And it is no good me preaching today, Father, without the power of your Holy Spirit upon me. And I ask right now, Lord, that your Spirit would rest upon your servant and the word would go forth as you intended to go forth. Father, it will go forth with conviction to accomplish the things that you want to do here. To Lord, to convict, to encourage, to strengthen, to build, to edify. We say, Lord, let your word run in this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if I just ask you a, a, a passage, a question I start the, the, the message if I asked you why Jesus died, what would the answer be? And most people would say, so that I could be forgiven. And that is true, but it's only partially true. It's only partially true. And the trouble with that is that it's, it's a little bit too much just about me. You see, this passage here tells us that, uh, or verse 19 says that uh, God was in Christ imputing the world to himself, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. But then he made him who knew no sin become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Speaks about how God was in Christ and not imputing your, or not imputing your sins to you or not punishing you for your, your sins, but he was actually punishing his son. That's what he was doing at the cross so that you could go free. That Christ was paying your, he was paying the price for your trespasses. It says, and so the guilt was not imputed to you, it was imputed to his son, and his son was punished in your place. But he said, the purpose of the cross was this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, but here it is, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the purpose is, is that 
Christ died that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And when it says that you might become, there is an implication there that you can miss God's purposes for your life. And that's why the very next verse says, as workers together with him, we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So you can know all about the cross, know all about Christ dying for your sin, but you can miss God's purposes. And I believe a lot of people, in the uh, Christians today in the West, miss God's great purposes because they believe or they've come to believe through mostly false teaching that Jesus Christ knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become prosperous or that we might become powerful. But it doesn't say that. It says that so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is God's great passion. I always say, if you want to get God get interested in you, get interested in what God's in. God's great interest is not prosperity. It's not purity. It's not, sorry, it's not, it's not power. It is righteousness. God's great passion that there, there be righteousness in the earth, that things be done right according to him. And his plan for displaying what is right before God is you and I. We might become a demonstration of God's righteousness. And the word righteousness, so we understand this, comes from the Hebrew word, the word chesed. I learned that in Egypt. Chesed. And it means, it's got two kind of aspects. It's, it makes about, speaks about chesed or, or righteousness. means it's to do with God's justice. It's to do with his mercy and it's to do with his loving kindness. And God wants to demonstrate all that through you and I. And when we get focused... And when we, we actually align ourselves with God's great purpose for me, and my purpose becomes his purpose, tremendous things happen to our life. Let me tell you what happens when your aim and your goal, what you're aiming at and what you're seeking, is righteousness to be manifest and displayed through your life rather than prosperity and blessing. It's so important because that's why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that we might be filled. And when I speak about this, our goal has to be righteousness. There's good news and the bad news. The bad news is if you're not a believer, you have no righteousness of your own. There's just, there's, it's impossible because of God's holy standard. He is holy and he is perfectly loving kindness. He's perfectly just that you have none. And that's why Paul speaks about, he says uh, in... Um, Paul speaks about not having a, a, righteousness, a righteousness of his own, but he speaks about the righteousness that comes from Christ and is through faith. I'll read you the exact scripture here. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says that we don't, we, our righteousness from God is not through doing a lot of good things, but it says that the righteousness of God 
apart from the law has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, whom God set forward at the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. What that means is that rather than do a thousand good deeds which are not acceptable to God, the righteous, Paul said, are justified by faith. They are all considered righteous by God only by virtue, by virtue of their faith. And that is, that, that is because we uh, are corrupted, even our motives are corrupted, but in order for us to be righteous, God sent his son, the Lord our righteousness, that's what his name is, who lived a perfectly righteous life on our behalf and never did anything wrong. All his motives were pure, all his actions were pure. And then at the end of his life, God sacrificed him. He shed his blood that all our impure deeds, all our wrong acts, all our wicked things could be forgiven. And he says it's through believing that alone that God considers you right with him. There is no other way to get right with God. You can do a thousand good deeds, but apart from Christ, apart from faith in him, you'll never be right with God. So righteousness comes by faith in what God has done through Christ at the cross. And a lot of us here, we're already believers, and we say, I know that, Pastor. You've taught us a thousand times. What I'm talking about when I speak about the righteousness comes through faith, if you have believed that you cannot please God on your own, but you have trusted in what God has done through you in Christ, you are considered now right with God. God will not reject you. God has received you. You've come into the family of God. You are his child. You are right with him. And that's a positional righteousness. But what I want to speak about mostly today is what I call effective righteousness. Because a lot of Christians, they're so aware of positional righteousness, but they're not aware of effective or, or what I call lifestyle righteousness. And we, we sometimes live under this big blanket called grace and think it doesn't matter how I live because I've been forgiven. But what God wants us, God wants us to... Not only know we've been made right with him, but he wants us to have this hunger and thirst that our life every day would remain in that condition where God's love, his justice, and his goodness is seen through me. That's what I, I want. That's what I hunger and thirst for every day above everything else. And I want to tell you why it's so important. Listen what happens. You know, you think, you, you, we think we want prosperity. And if you're after prosperity, you won't get it. You think you want power. If you're, if you're chasing power, you won't get it. But if you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this is what you get. The Word of God says the righteous are blameless, their children are blessed. The Word of God says I've never seen the righteous begging bread. God says, the Word of God says the righteous are delivered from death. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them all God delivers them. It says when you live righteously, you experience peace and joy. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You know all your material provision. The key to that is righteousness. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all your material needs will be provided by God. 
And some of us want anointing and, 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 and power in ministry, which is great. But you know why Jesus Christ had anointing and power in ministry? Not because he wanted anointing and power. But the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. It is when we are focused on righteousness, all these blessings come to us. We are bold. Righteousness is also spiritual armor. It's a breastplate. When we actually walk, and we walk as God wants us to, we overcome temptation, and our focus is on staying right with God every day and paying the price. It says that we have spiritual armor. It's a breastplate. The devil can come near, but he can't destroy you because righteousness is spiritual armor for our souls. And here's what, 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 what I believe God wants to say today, is that he wants us to be focused on what his focus is. His focus is that there be righteousness in the world. You know when God brings judgment, and I bring, believe God is bringing judgment, particularly on the Western church today, there's a judgment. That's why everything was shut down in coronavirus. But God is not punitive. The reason he brings judgment, it's always redemptive. And when the church is not being what the church is supposed to be, Isaiah 26, 8 says this, when your judgments are in the earth, the people will learn righteousness. Show grace to the wicked and they will not learn righteousness. So God has allowed a judgment to come that, that we would receive a correction and get away from all the things that the church gets occupied and get back to the focus of God, which is righteousness. I believe that uh, we, we, we have to see God's heart and actually we have to understand God's timetable. We, we can see as these viruses fall and these wars start, the judgments of God starting to fall and the tribulation imminent. You know, what Mo, you know what Noah did when he saw, when he was in that sort of situation? It says he built an ark, that's a, that's a vessel for salvation, and Noah became a preacher of righteousness. His message was, judgment is imminent, it's coming, you need to get right with God, and the only way to do it is get into this ark of salvation, this vessel of salvation. That's what the church needs to preach today, that judgment is imminent, it is coming, but God has provided Christ, which is the ark of salvation, and you need to get right with him or else. People are afraid of the or else of the gospel, but it's part of the gospel. And you know, when he preached that, it says, when Noah preached righteousness. You need to get right because judgment is coming. What happened? God protected him from the coming storm. And I believe that's a word for the church. If the church will preach what God wants, we will be protected from every storm. If you proclaim, if your focus is right righteousness, you'll be protected from every storm. Now here's a, here's a word that I believe God wants us to know today. I've been reading a lot about suffering Job. Job is a book, great book of suffering. And as a believer, you know, we, we are not spared from suffering. In fact, 
all who are in Christ Jesus will suffer because God has a purpose in suffering. He has a great purpose in suffering. And actually, without suffering, your soul rises up to become not right. God uses sufferings to perfect you so that your spirit continues to live through sufferings. And the book of Job is, a, is a, it's an instruction from, from the Bible about how suffering works and God's redemptive purpose in suffering. And, and sometimes our suffering is something that's got nothing to do with us because Job didn't realize he was a subject of a cosmic test between heaven and hell, between God and Satan. And he was suffering, had no understanding of it. But he suffered and he lost everything. But I believe in the kingdom of heaven. God's will is that all human loss is recoverable. I believe the book of Esther, uh, uh, Ruth teaches that. Prodigal son teaches that. doesn't mean you get recovered in the way that you think you're going to, things get restored. But you are not, if, if you're in Christ and you are committed to God, your experience of human loss is not like the world's. God brings restoration and God brings redemption through your loss and through your pain. And the book of Job speaks about this man who lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost all his material possessions, he lost everything. And yet he had this attitude that led to God restoring to him double what he lost. And you know what his attitude was? His attitude was this. In Job 27, Job's speaking now after being accused from his kind of affair with the friends. And it said, Job said, as God lives, who has taken away my justice and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness will, I will hold fast and will not let it go. And see... His attitude was what our attitude was. You can lose everything, but if you don't lose your righteousness, you're going to be fine. You can lose everything, but if you hold on to your righteousness, you're going to be okay. And not only was he okay, he restored double. And this is just to be practical. When we speak about righteousness, Job, in the, in the same passage, in, in chapter 29, verse 14, he says, in chapter 27, and he says, I'll, I'll, I may lose everything, but I'm going to not let go of my righteousness. And in chapter 29, Job says in verse 14, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. So what I'm talking about is not just positional righteousness. This is a righteousness of God that we've got a hunger and thirst for and we're going to put it on to experience all the blessings that I mentioned earlier. And what did he put on? You see the things that he put on. Job in chapter 31 says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a woman? Verse 9, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, 
than let my wife grind for another. So he was, his, his righteousness was to do with having a sexual purity and a, a moral purity in his life. He says in verse 16 of chapter 31, if I kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail or eaten my morsel by myself so that the phallus could not eat of it. He says, basically, then let me be accursed. So he's, his righteousness was due with uh, looking after, as the Bible says, widows and orphans. He goes on in verse 19 to say, if I've seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor men without covering, If I've raised my hand against the fatherless. So righteousness was to do with helping widows and orphans. Righteousness to do with helping the poor. It goes on in, um, in verse 29. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me. By asking for a curse on his soul. He's saying all these things I didn't do. And he says. If the men of my tent had not said who is this that has not been satisfied with his meat. But no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. He, he says, if I have made my ho hope gold, if I've said you are my confidence, he said, I haven't done that either. So he, he, he says, I put on righteousness. And the righteousness that he put on, he says, to do with sexual immorality. It's to do with helping widows and orphans. It's to do with helping the poor. It's to do with not cursing my enemies. It's to do with opening my home and being hospitable or sharing what I've got. It's to do with not becoming a money lover. It's to do with how we live. And it's really important that we just don't come into a type of faith where we say, oh, I'm so great and I'm so God because I've been forgiven by Christ and because I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm being accepted positionally, I'm righteous with God, but my lifestyle is no different to anyone else in the world. That's not biblical righteousness. Biblical righteousness is to do with faith, Yes, faith that I be forgiven through Christ, faith that I be accepted by God through Christ, but also faith that Christ's very life be manifest and seen through me. Because it's a terrible thing to be a Christian who the only thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world and how the world lives is that we use Christian language. But what we ought be after is lifestyles, is a way of living which God looks down from heaven and says, that's so right. The way they live, people see me through them. Everything they do practically, I love it. It's right by heaven. It's wrong by heaven to not share your bread with the poor. It's wrong by heaven to not help widows and orphans. It's wrong by heaven to love money. It's wrong by heaven to lust and look at pornography. That's not righteousness. But when we actually hunger and thirst and make righteousness the goal of my life, all those blessings I spoke before, break out over our lives. And I believe the reasons many Christians are frustrated. Why? 
why am, why am I still beg, begging for bread? The righteous are, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. The righteous are blameless, their children are blessed. Righteous are bold as a lion. We say, why am I still afraid? Why aren't I bold? It's because there is no hungering and thirsting. There's no focus on righteousness. Often the focus is on prosperity or power, where it all comes. All the blessings of God come through righteous living. You know, there's a lot of talk and, and always a lot of prayer for revival. A lot of prayer for revival. And that's good. I mean, it's, it's great that we want to see uh, the nation changed. How does that come? Righteousness exalts a nation. The only thing that lifts a nation is righteousness. But we speak about revival all the time. You, do you know which book speaks about, I believe there is an end time revival coming. Before Christ comes, there is an end time revival. You know the book that speaks most about the last move of God? It's the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah speaks so much about revival. And, but the many passages that speak about revival, and there is no revival in the book of Isaiah, apart from a revival with righteousness at the center. And I believe God wants to shift the church's focus. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord upon me is upon me. This is speaking about Christ, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the year, the day of vengeance for our Lord. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the, joy, the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That speaks about the effect of Christ, the anointed one, on our lives. When we come to receive him, there's a total transformation. He, re he replaces the ashes and in, in, re in, re in their stead, he gives, us he gives us beauty. He takes away the, the mourning and he gives us joy. Takes away the heaviness and he gives us a garment of praise because we are eternally right with God. But here's the purpose. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. Then they shall rebuild the old ruins. Then they shall raise up the former desolations. In other words, what will happen? The old ruins will be raised up. The desolations will be raised up. When the church, the people in the church become oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. Isaiah 54 says the same thing. And I believe this is a word... Kind of, I've preached all up until now to get to this point. But Isaiah 54, I believe it speaks about a coming revival that we're to anticipate. And it says, Sing, O barren woman. Break forth into singing, cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. In other words, it's going to be an explosive move of God. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen the cords. And it goes on to say, you'll expand to the left and to the right. And your descendants will inherit the nations. Make desolate cities inhabited. Goes and say, you won't be disgraced anymore. Shame will be removed from people. You'll know God as your husband. Verse 5. 
goes on to say, uh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comfort. I'll lay your stones with colorful gems, lay your foundations with sapphires. That speaks about revival. It goes on to say, your children shall be taught by the Lord, and of great shall be the peace of your children. You'll be far from a fresh oppression. You shall not fear. He says, no weapon formed again, you shall prosper. Every tongue which, which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. It's a tremendous, explosive, revival passage. But this is what verse 14 says. How is it all going to happen? Because a revival has to be founded upon something. It can't just be fluff, and it can't just be emotion, and it can't just be desire. There has to be a foundation for a move. And it says this, in righteousness you will be established. Established. Righteousness, you'll be established. And you know, uh, to finish, I don't want to preach long today. To pre finish, it says this, uh, Isaiah 64. Uh, similar sort of passages. We, we, we pray for revival. Revival is where God rends the heavens, pours out the Holy Spirit as he does at Pentecost. Starts with the church and affects the whole world. And we say, oh, that you would rend the heavens, Isaiah 64. That you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence goes on that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not look, you came down. And what's going to make God come down and revive you, revive us again? For since the beginning of the world we have not, have not heard, nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts, who moves for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. Not knows about righteousness, not believes in righteousness, but does righteousness. This is what we need. We need a move of God again. This nation so needs uh, a visitation from heaven again. The church so needs God to visit it again, not just meetings, but to visit it, to restore it. And you can, you can experience personal visitation. God can act for you. But this says the key, God meets him and rejoices who does Righteousness. Righteousness. I really believe that God has enabled the church to be closed down. God has uh, he's allowed the, the, the church to be closed down during corona. And everyone talks about the great reset. You know people out there talk about the great reset and finance and all the rest of it? Well, I believe there's a greater reset. God is trying to reset the church. And he wants to make it so it's, we're not focused on what we want. We are focused on what God wants. That our desires become his desires. And his desire is that. He who, made, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God on display to the world. And let me just finish. If you will say, okay... 
I will, I, I actually, I'll make that shift. I, I've just become conscious that I'm, I'm focused on, maybe being talked to be focused on, you know, prosperity. These are all biblical themes, but they're not the main game. Or power. Or blessing. That's what your focus is. Let, let, me, let me just tell you how all of that comes. Because blessing, prosperity, material, spiritual, anointing, power, there's only one channel that it comes through. And I'll read it to you. The righteous are blameless, and the children are blessed. I've never seen the righteous begging bled. The righteousness, the righteous are always delivered from death. God's eyes are on the righteous. Righteousness exalts a nation. The rewards of God are according to righteousness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added. Christ loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God anointed him. I could go on and on and on. But righteousness is the channel through which all of God's blessing flow. That's why we're told to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. So yes, we are positionally righteous when we believe in Christ. But there is a putting on. There is a putting on which is so powerful, which positions you for so much of God, for so much of his favor, for so much of his goodness to be experienced in your life, that, that Job knew this and he said, I may have lost everything materially. I may have even lost family. I may have been stripped of everything, but you will not strip me of my righteousness because as long as I've got my righteousness, I know the blessings of God are coming back. God will restore because I would not let go of the thing that God loves most. Satan, the only thing he wants to do, his only strategy, because he knows the blessings that come through righteousness, is simply to strip you of it. That's all he wants to do. His focus is simply to strip you of your righteousness. Every temptation, its goal is to strip you of that breastplate of armor, breastplate of righteousness. It's to, t it's to bring you into compromise that all the blessings, that all the goodness of God that flows through righteousness will be stripped from your life. He just wants to strip you. That's why we need to resist the devil, to stand, stand again. And like Job say, you can take everything. But you don't take this. You don't take my righteousness. You don't take the thing that God loves most out of my life, the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for you with great purpose. God has a God of great purpose. This is what it is, that you may become the very righteousness of Christ manifest before all the world. 
And you say, well, what difference will it make? Last verse of Scripture going to read. For Zen's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as bright brightness and a salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. That's God's great plan. That through you, Christ himself may be seen who is the righteousness of God. And that's what the world's waiting for. They're waiting to see, not hear, not hear our preaching, not hear our statements of faith. They're waiting to see a church which manifests and demonstrates the righteousness of God. What are you aiming at? If you're not, if, if you're not aiming at something, you're going to hit nothing. What are you aiming at? What is the goal? May I suggest for every Christian, the goal ought to be righteousness. That's what we should be chasing after. That's what we'll be focused on, demonstrating the righteousness of God. Amen? Let me pray for us all today. Father God, I thank you that you did not send your son to die on that cross in vain. Lord, you know that we have no righteousness of our own, but you made your righteousness freely available through the cross. And I thank you, Lord, that as we come to that cross and we repent of our sin and we humble ourselves, Forever you accept us, you turn your face towards us, you embrace us, you take us into your family. But Father God, let us go beyond that. Let us fulfill the purposes fully of why your son died. I ask for myself, Lord, that you may be seen you may be seen through me by the power of righteousness in my life. I ask for each and every one here that people may see Christ in through them. Through righteousness. Through your righteousness, Lord. Father, Help us to shift where we need to shift our focus. Help us to shift our priorities. Your word says, seek first the kingdom of God. First. Seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Then everything we desire shall be added. Father God, we desperately need, we desperately need, Lord, a revival in this nation. We desperately need you to visit us. And Father God, you tell us that that move of God will only be established one way. Father God, when your church loves what you love, when they're chasing what you want them to chase, 
In righteousness it shall be established. Lord, let it be so in this time. Let the focus of your bride shift in this hour that you may visit us again, that you may rend the heavens and come down. I thank you, Lord. You are not a statue. You're a God who acts for those who do righteousness. I bless you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. All the people said amen. Stand and praise him. Stand and praise him because all the blessings that come to the righteous, they're still coming and they're still flowing today. If you need to shift your focus and you need help, come forward. Someone's going to pray for you. God's going to enable you to do everything he desires. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.